We come today to the last message from the book of James, and we've been going through a series called Just Do It. And uh, the title that I have for this morning is Come On, Pray. Come On, Pray. Seven times in just six verses, James refers to prayer. Three times it's a call to pray. For example, in verse 13, he says, If anyone is suffering, let him pray. It could also be translated, If anyone is in trouble, let him pray. You know, prayer is an awesome privilege, and every single one of us in this room this morning can enter into this awesome privilege of prayer. James says, pray for one another. In other words, everybody get involved in praying for each other. It's a wonderful experience, a wonderful opportunity. But before we go any further, I've just got a light-hearted look at prayer. So we've got a little DVD clip, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church. And I would walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know. If you, need to... you want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right, then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't, not, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know what you can pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good. and She must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. She was like, dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the 6th chapter, the 3rd, 3rd verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. <laughs> Lord, you said, but seek. S is in search. E is in everywhere. E is in excellent. K is in kingdom. <laughs> you are the Alpha Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even know his nicknames. Now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not going to let her out pray me. So I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You are good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I, I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosy moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, because... You no, know, as the rec- as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly, Amen. Somebody liked it. I heard somebody say it was very good. Yeah, it's brilliant. Prayer is is just communication. So what is the big deal? The big deal is not the what, the big deal is the who. Who we are praying 
to, who we're communicating with. I don't know if you're interested in films, but just imagine that you, well, if you are interested in films, just imagine if you could go to the Oscars and you could pick whichever table you wanted to sit at and you could spend the evening talking with the actors, actresses, director, producers. Would that be a big deal? I think it would if you really like films. If you're into politics, imagine being invited to a G8 summit and being given an afternoon where you could talk to the top world leaders. I imagine that you'd think that was a big deal. If you're interested in football, imagine being invited to an afternoon with all the Premier League managers or if, like me, your team's in the championship, the championship managers. <laughs> and being able to spend time talking to them. I think, I find that a big deal. I talked to Gary Monk. Now you know I'm a Leeds fan. You might have be interested in any, any of those things. But just pause for a moment and think, out of any person in the entire world... If you could choose and spend one hour in one-on communication with that person, would that be a big deal? I'm getting some nods. (laughs) I think it would be a really big deal. But there's an even bigger deal. The eternal, all-powerful God, whose character is love says to you, and he says to me, call upon me, and I will answer you, and show you mighty things which you do not know. God first said that to a guy called Jeremiah. And he says it to you, and he says it to me today. You know, God just loves it when we call. You know, it's absolutely mind-blowing that we have 24-7 access to Almighty God, who is a loving Father. The privilege of prayer is immense. (laughs) And we could, if we could just communicate with God for one hour in our lifetime, that would be, that would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? (laughs) But we don't just have one hour, we have unlimited minutes, unlimited text, unlimited data. And the signal never drops. And it's free tariff. Isn't that a wow? Wow! The privilege of prayer is just mind-blowing. No wonder James says, come on, pray. Paul in his letters to the church, he did exactly the same thing. He writes to the Christians at Colossians, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Then he writes to the Christians at Thessalonica, and he says, pray continually. He writes to the Christians at Ephesus, and he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Jesus wants you to pray. When Jesus was on 
planet Earth and his followers were around him, he said, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he said, this is how you should begin. Our Father in heaven. God as Father is a loving Father. There's some fathers on earth that are not good people. Don't put God in that category. God is a perfect, loving Father. But he's also in heaven, in the place of authority as Lord. He's not a man upstairs. He's not our best mate. He is the Lord. He's the King of Kings. But he's also our Father. The Queen is Prince Charles's mum. But she's also his sovereign. And I want you to imagine uh, the palace, having a meal together, and Queen Elizabeth says to, to Charles, I'd like you to go to Kenya and represent me. I want you to go on a trip to Kenya. And, and he could have one of two thoughts. He could say, you know, you're just trying to control me. <laughs> you're bossing me about, and I don't want to go to Kenya. Or he could say, I will go in the power and authority of the Queen of Britain and the head of the Commonwealth, and I will represent her. You know, when we come to God in prayer, we come as to a dad and to the Lord. And I like to look through the lens of dad first. You might prefer to look through Lord first, but I prefer to look through the lens of Dad first. A loving Father who who allows me to wrestle with him in prayer. And some of you know that I have been doing that in recent months over the call to plant a church in Bristol, that wrestling with a Father. A Father lets you wrestle with him. He is patient. But as Lord, God says, John, just do it. John, just do it. Get on with it. James knew that God was Father. And if we were to turn to James chapter 1, we would see that in verse 16. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So this awesome Father who is reliable, who is is the same, who doesn't get hacked off with us, he is the same every day, he is consistent, he is reliable, he is loving. This awesome father is so important. But, but James' all emphasis in his letter is not to father. James begins this letter with the emphasis on Lord. He says, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is... Lord. 
And he has set up this awesome communication system called prayer. And James, in chapter 5, is stressing the fact that we need to keep the lines of communication open. We need to make sure that the barriers to that are removed. I have uh, brought my mobile phone with me this morning. I'm sure many of you will have a mobile phone. It is a, a brilliant method of communication, isn't it? Not, not sure. People are not very sure about that. <laughs> well, it is, it is a method of communication. But there are two barriers to this phone being effective. Two main barriers. One is a flat battery. When the battery is flat, I'm not getting anything. There's no communication going on. I need to do something about that. I get the charger and I plug it back into the power. Good to go. The other thing is poor signal. And again, I need to do something about it. And we were on holiday not too long ago and where the holiday cottages were, there was no signal. So you'd see people stood on the road outside on the mobile phone. Why? Because they moved to where the signal was. They did something about it so that they could communicate. So what are the barriers to you and I communicating with God? James identifies three things. Unbelief, sin, and unrighteousness. James says it is the prayer of faith that will save the sick person. And in chapter 1, he he hammers this aspect of faith over a different request. And in chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, and no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Unbelief is, is a bit like cancer. The more it grows, the more spiritual life and vitality it drains from us. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, whether it's a day or whether it's 50 years, there is a danger of stepping into unbelief. Every single one of us in this room can step into unbelief. You know, God led his people out of slavery in Egypt and he performed all kinds of miracles and you would think they'd never forget it. (laughs) But it wasn't long before they had no faith. And because of their unbelief, they did not step into all that God had for them. There was only two guys who did that. Joshua and Caleb were men of faith. All the others died without entering the promised land. Forty years of not 
stepping into what God had for them. The writer to the Hebrews warns us. He says, you know, take notice of what happened to them and don't do the same thing. I'm just going to read that from chapter 3, verse 12. It says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Every single one of us can step into unbelief. Amy Reardon, writing about that, says this. It was the people of God who lost their faith in the desert, not a tribe of pagans. And here, the writer warns Christians, the early believers and us, not to become unbelieving and turn from God. We've seen this message before. We must maintain our faith. It is not impossible for us to lose our faith. So a degree of vigilance is required. Let us not make space for sin that will harden our hearts and drive us away. Amy links the first and the second barriers, the first barrier of unbelief with the second barrier, sin. You know, when, when we continue to sin, for example, if we say, I know I'm lusting and I'm going to keep lusting and I'm not going to listen to God telling me, do not lust. That is a hardening of the heart. And when we are habitually getting angry and we are quite content to keep being angry and God says to us, do not be angry and we don't listen. It's a bit like putting earplugs in and saying, I don't want to hear. And when we do that, we become deaf to the voice of God. We become hardened. Closely followed from unbelief and sin is unrighteousness. In my own strength, in my own self-will, I am unrighteous. And you are too. Basically, righteousness means, sorry, unrighteousness means not right. Not in right relationship with God and not morally right. So how do we become righteous? Paul writing to the Corinthians made it very, very clear. And I absolutely love this verse. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. There was an awesome exchange that took place on the cross. Every single one of us has sinned. Now, it's not a popular word, isn't sin, in our society today. People don't want to be called sinners. 
But every single one of us knows that we haven't even measured up to our own standards. Every single one of us knows that, that we've messed up, basically, because I can't even live up to the standard that I set. And you can't live up to the standard that you've set. Now, we make excuses. And we say, well, it's your fault why I did this. But the reality is, we've all messed up. And we've all sinned. And on the cross, my sin went on to Jesus Christ. Your sin went on to Jesus Christ. And he took it. And he paid the price for it. He died in our place. He shed his blood that we might be cleansed from all the mess of the sins that we've committed and the sins that others have committed against us. Jesus took it all. And instead, he put his righteousness on us. As we, accept, as we put our sin on him, he puts his righteousness on us. So instead of being living for self and unrighteous, we live for God and we become righteous because of Jesus Christ. So just as I plug the mobile phone in to charge it up to overcome the barrier of a flat barrier, a flat battery, to overcome unrighteousness, sin and unbelief, we need to plug into Jesus Christ at his cross. It is the only way. When we plug into his death and his resurrection, what they have accomplished for us, our hearts are cleansed, the sin is removed, and unbelief dissipates. Communion is something that we're going to take very, very soon. The band are going to come up and play, but this, this meal of remembrance is so precious because it communicates, it's a visual aid of plugging in to Jesus Christ. Every single one of us this morning, if we come with a heart of humility and a heart that says, yes, Jesus, I need you. I need to plug in and I come and I I confess my sin. Unbelief is a sin. And if you've been struggling with unbelief, then I, I pray that you would this morning confess that and say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whatever reason. You see, Thomas was a follower of Jesus Christ. He followed him for three years. And because Jesus didn't do what he thought he should do, because Thomas had this vision of what God would do and it didn't happen. In fact, it looked like everything had gone down the pan. And Thomas said, okay, I've had enough. Jesus, you have not met with my expectations. You haven't delivered what I thought you should deliver. And therefore, he said very strong words. When the other disciples said, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. He said, I will not believe. That's unbelief. I will not believe. The wonderful thing is that Jesus came. 
And Jesus said to Thomas, I'm here. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You know what Thomas's response was? My Lord and my God. Why? Because Thomas had stepped into the presence of Jesus. Jesus. 